Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode deals with serious and distressing content. Listener discretion is advised. Terror in downtown Sydney. Australia, a country few ever associate with real violence, let alone the site of potential terror. As you can see the hostages in the window with their hands up. He said, you're being taken hostage. Of course, with that, he's pulling out a gun and he's telling us that he's got a bomb in his backpack. My next instant thought, of course, was terrorist. We are dead. On the day the nightmare of terror came true. This is How I Survived. Stories of everyday people and how they survived against the odds. I'm your host, Beth Young. You know, am I going to die or what? I mean, I, I look back at it now and I thought, you know, how did I ever survive that? I think that I probably survived for a reason. How I Survived. On a normal Monday morning in December 2014, people across Sydney were preparing for another working week. Ten days before Christmas, there was a festive feel in the air. Louisa Hope, 52, was enjoying breakfast at the Lint Chocolate Cafe with her 72-year-old mum, Robin. At a table nearby, Robin noticed another customer, 50-year-old Man Monis. After ordering a slice of chocolate cake and a cuppa, he moved tables to get a better view of the cafe, all the while toting a blue plastic bag and a backpack. So mum was watching him. She was saying, who's that man? He's a bit unusual. I'm going, mum, don't worry about it. And I remember very clearly I was paying my money and I'm thinking, this young woman is not paying attention to me. But she was obviously aware that something was happening that I was not. And I just paid walking back to my table to sit with mum. And um, yes, there he was, standing up, putting on his bandana and making his big announcement. He said, you're being taken hostage. I want to speak to the Prime Minister. Australia needs to know that they're under attack. And, you know, if we did what he, we were told, we'd be okay. And of course, with that, he's pulling out a, a gun and he's telling us that he's got a bomb in his backpack. First thing I thought was, oh, this is some sort of like bad candid camera scenario, right? This isn't real. And then, of course, as he pulled out the gun, it was when I realised, oh, no, no, this is real. It's not a joke. My next instant thought was, terrorist, we are dead, because that's the normal stock standard procedure in a terrorist scenario. They kill people. Trapped inside with 17 other customers and cafe staff, Louisa, who has multiple sclerosis and uses a walking stick, was being held hostage. And the man her mum had thought was a little odd was actually a dangerous psychopath. Out on bail, charged with being an accessory for murder in relation to the brutal killing of his ex-wife, Monis was also facing a raft of sexual assault charges. Brandishing a sawn-off shotgun, which he pulled from the blue plastic shopping bag, he claimed to have planted bombs around Sydney on behalf of terrorist group ISIS. Desperate to get media attention, Monis made his captives call radio and TV stations in between holding up an Islamic flag in the window. He forced 34-year-old cafe manager Tori Johnson to call triple zero. 
Australia is under attack by Islamic State. There are three bombs in three different locations. Martin Place, Circular Key and George Street. So there's no reason to doubt him. He had a gun. So, you know, perhaps he does have a, um, have a bomb in his backpack. It looked like there was some weight in the backpack. He told me to stand up at the window. And I said to him, oh, well, I can't. I might fall. I've got my walking stick. And he said, oh, well, not you. Not you to stand. And then he told me to put my walking stick on the floor. And then he kicked it away. So strangely, he said to me, sorry, you understand. Like, I can't let you have the walking stick. And I was like, sure. No worries, you know. Like, seriously, what do you say? He was ordinary. He was polite, quietly spoken, had moments of uh, compassion. He had flashes of consideration. At the same time, he was willing to kill us. There was no doubt about that. He was that kind of man who says to his wife, I love you, but then at the same time, smash her around the head. The gunman referred to Tory as the manager all day. The rest of us, he learnt our names and he used our names. But Tory was the authority figure in the room, if you like, as the manager. And he was very uh, derogatory towards Tory. And the way he referred to him was very dehumanising. And that's how he was in the cafe. Equally violent, equally polite. He'd given us water and he was constantly trying to get media attention and everybody in the room was totally focused on getting him media attention because it quickly become obvious amongst us, even though we weren't allowed to talk together, was that if we keep him occupied, it would give us time for the police to come and rescue us, you know. Forced to stand for hours at the cafe's windows, enduring exhaustion, fear and uncertainty. This young Lynch staffer, eyes closed, hands trembling, at one point collapsed, each under enormous strain, unimaginable pressures, the emotions so raw. Almost five hours into the siege, seizing their chance, one of the hostages, John O'Brien, pushed the emergency button on the disabled front door and made his escape, quickly followed by Stefan Balafutis and Paolo Vasalo. Inside the cafe, all hell broke loose and Monas reached for his closest captive, Louisa. If it wasn't for fellow hostage and Lint Cafe staffer, 19-year-old Jared Morton Hoffman, that's when she may have lost her life. There's some hope as some hostages get out safely. Hostage out, hostage out. But the threat remains as the hours pass. On the day the nightmare of terror came true, a special edition of Seven So when the first lot of hostages escaped, I didn't see it happen. It was just bang, kaboom. Suddenly something's happening. And we're all, you know, screaming. And he grabbed me and had me up on my feet with the gun ready to go because he, like myself, assumed that this was the police coming. If it wasn't for the quick thinking of Jared, he said, no, 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 the police aren't coming. They've just escaped. So he kept shouting that, Jared, and then everyone else started saying, they've just escaped. They've just escaped because there I was in his clutches. It was the first time, though, when I really thought that I personally was going to die in that moment because I thought, if the police are coming, he's got the gun to my head, quite literally. One false move, I'm gone. So then it was everything calmed down. And then the gunman says to us, you all should thank Jared because I was going to have to kill somebody if he hadn't told me that they had escaped. Then he sat me, just sat me down where I was previously seated. And um, yes, then the day kind of went on. I felt like I'd been spared. There I was in that moment where I thought I'm dead, but then I wasn't. So I was like, okay, calm down. 
As each agonising hour passed, it became more apparent to Louisa that Monas wasn't a sophisticated terrorist, but a madman. She began to believe that he didn't have a bomb in his backpack, as he claimed, but with a shotgun in his hand, she was still terrified for her life. Of course, at first he presented himself as very confident and, you know, totally in control of the situation. But then it became obvious that he hadn't scoped out the building very well. Like he didn't know where the fire exits were and a whole lot of things like that. So you sort of think like, um, well, you know, if one's going to start out in a project like this, you'd think that there'd be a little bit of, you know, reconnaissance. And they didn't seem to have been. Then, of course... Tori knew and Jared knew and several of the other staff would have known as well how to get out of that cafe. They would have known the ways out. However, they chose, you know, Tori, Tori deliberately chose not to, um, not to leave, not to leave us. Yeah. However, at around 4.58pm, just over an hour after the first three escaped, hostages Jun Bei and Ellie Chen managed to creep out. Monas had no idea until he heard it on the radio, which he was eagerly listening to. Every time we heard one of those media reports that said that there were five people, not three people, had escaped, then we went into this collective, oh, you know, the media, they just lie, we can't trust them, who do they think they are, they're making it up, you know, no, five people didn't escape, only three people, but every time we did that... We just were all kind of like collectively holding our breath that he would believe us and not the media. Because if he had worked out that two more had escaped instead of just the three, that would have caused major problems because he had told us very definitely after the first lot escaped, if any more people escape, I will kill someone. As darkness fell and Christmas lights twinkled outside, Louisa noticed that Monis was becoming increasingly paranoid. Still insisting the hostages call radio and TV stations, he became frustrated when the media refused to engage with him. As 2am approached, his behaviour became more erratic and he singled out three hostages. All day we've been hearing the noises throughout the cafe. You know, the thud of the ice machine, for example. You know, made this big bang, you know, every time the ice fell down and the fridge is going on and off and this and that, little things around the cafe. And we're all saying, that was the ice machine or that was the fridge, you know, like no need to freak out kind of thing. However, this time he was starting to get a bit paranoid. He thought he was seeing shadows from outside, which he assumed was the police. So he decided that he was going to take Selena and Fiona and Jared to the kitchen and investigate these noises for himself. So he's walking towards the kitchen, leaving the rest of us in the cafe, and he changes his mind again and he says, Jared, you stand here and mind the door. Now, I have to say, in that moment, when that change was made, I went into like a little minor panic because I thought, oh my God, what's he doing? He's not done this before. He's taking those two women to the kitchen by himself. Hang on a minute. What's he going to do? Is he going to like kill them or worse? I just closed my eyes and just started to pray like crazy. You know, like, hey God, are you seeing what's happening here? So I just went into this deep moment of intense prayer, eyes closed. And the next minute I hear bang. And I open my eyes and look up and all of the my other hostages who'd been sitting just in front of me, only a few minutes earlier, were all gone. So I went, oh, okay, it's we're going, we're leaving, and it's time to get up and start going. So I started to go myself towards the door. But at the same time, in the darkness, my mother and Tori are still sitting. They're not moving. And I'm like, what? And I'm trying to indicate to them to come, 
not wanting to shout out because I didn't know where the gunman was. So I was trying to keep it quiet. He could have been anywhere in that dark room. I'm thinking we're going out the door, but they are not moving. So I'm in a moment where I go, well, what do I do? I can't go without my mother. You know, I can't leave my mum behind. So I made a decision that I would lie down on the floor. I thought he'll come out and he'll kill me because I'd moved and he'll be angry because the others have gone. But he didn't. He come out and he grabbed me and he hauled me up by my bra strap through my dress. And um, he's panicking, of course, by that stage. So he's in a major panic. So then he calls my mother over and he, he stands, we're facing the front door, and he says to her, you stand on my right, and I was on his left, and he's got us standing there either side of him so close that every time he twirls or twists a bit I can feel his backpack hitting me and he says keep your eyes closed you won't get hurt and I'm thinking as if I'm going to keep my eyes closed right so then he calls to Tori and he says to Tori you manager kneel down and put your hands on your head and so of course you know we've all seen enough television we all know what that is about that's execution position, of course. And so Tori does that. He kneels down and puts his hands on his back of his head. And then the gunman starts to scan the room. He's scanning the room, expecting the police to come. He starts to do this shuffle down thing with his shoulders. He's adjusting the gun. He's moving from side to side. And um, I think to myself, he's positioning the gun high so that he can shoot it. I think he's going to kill Tori. And I'm just you know, in that moment of, I can't believe this is, he can't kill Tori, surely. And then, of course, what he does is, bang, he shoots the gun up into the far right-hand corner of the cafe. (sighs) Relief, you know, he didn't kill Tori. And I'm thinking, okay, he didn't kill him, he's not going to kill him, that's great. The police must be going to come now. And so, waiting, waiting, waiting. And um, the police aren't coming, we're there, he's waiting, he's shuffling, pacing, scanning the room with the gun across the windows and the front door. And then he does this shuffle down thing again with his shoulders and he adjusts the gun and I think he's going to do another shot. But then, bang, he takes the shot, but this time he does kill Tori. And so that was shocking, beyond shocking. After an almost 17-hour siege, an ending everyone had prayed would never come. Shortly after two this morning, teams of tactical response police stormed the Lindt Cafe from either end, guns blazing. The cafe lit up with bursts of bullets and flashbangs, stun grenades, leaving the gunman dazed. It was over in 34 seconds, and in the silence afterwards, the only sounds, cries of pain and pleas for help. It's just like a car accident, you know, it goes really fast and really slow because of the, the shock and the adrenaline that's going through you. You lose that solid perception. He was scanning the door and I'm thinking, well, where's he got to go? But my mother and I, he'll get both of us to kneel down, we'll be next. But then what started to happen was just quite insane. All of a sudden, the room started to become filled with colour and light and um, smell like gun smoke smell and then flashing and then of course the police were coming in and they were coming in uh, in force you know and I'm standing right there I was standing right next to the gunman and and the next minute somebody yelled get down which I'm assuming is one of the police and then somehow I don't know how but I went from standing to being on the floor and I'm lying on the floor right up against the bench seat there in the, in the cafe 
and it's just continues. It doesn't stop. It keeps going. I had my eyes closed with my hands over my eyes. I'm thinking, my goodness, we're going to die in this moment. We've, we've survived this whole day and we're going to die right here and right now. And I thought, well, I might as well watch. So I took my hands away from my eyes and I opened my eyes to see what I could see. You know, this is it. Going to die. Might as well see what's happening. The smoke was so thick by then. And I was thinking, they mustn't have got him yet because the shooting just keeps coming. You know, they're still shooting like crazy and there's no reason to imagine anything other than, you know, the worst. So the next minute, I'm looking down at my shoes, the straps off my sandals, my favourite red sandals, right? They're gone. And I remember thinking, oh no, how am I going to get them fixed? You know, which is a totally stupid thing to think, right? I'm worrying about how to get my favourite sandals fixed at the same time thinking I'm going to die. And I'd no sooner had that thought. And then all of a sudden, the searing pain came into my foot. Well, of course, I'd been hit by the shrapnel. My next thought was, I'm going to lose my foot because it was a pretty big hole and um, didn't look too good at all from what I could see in the dark cafe. So then the next minute after that, one of the tag team guys are over the top of me and they're saying, get up, run, because they thought he had a bomb, right? And I said to this uh, tag guy, I can't, my foot. And he says, okay. And he's dragging me up and he says, can you hop? <laughs> and I went, can I hop? Okay, I'll hop. So I started to hop and I'm thinking most days, you know, I can hardly stand on two feet, you know, um, but hopping I'm doing and hopping I'm going out the door. And then of course, fortunately, they then two of them come behind me, needed two of them to lift me, get me out and they lay me out on Phillip Street. And then it was like the moment was over. But that moment, you know, is there thinking, so grateful I have survived, but absolutely was convinced in that moment that my mother had to be dead. But Robin had survived too. While Louisa was rushed to Prince of Wales Hospital in Sydney's east, Robin was taken to another in the west with shrapnel wounds to her shoulder. I'm very fortunate that mum didn't get herself killed in that cafe because she was very back chatty with that gunman. I was so sure that, you know, she's just going to say one thing too many. But, um, I mean, he'd actually said to me, Louisa, keep your mother quiet. And at the time I was like, huh, <laughs> he doesn't know what he's asked me to try and keep my mother quiet. He's joking. But I can still recall that sense of relief in my heart that mum had survived. But unbeknown to Louisa, it hadn't just been her and her mum left when police raided the cafe after Tori was killed. Barrister and mum of three, Katrina Dawson, had been hiding beneath a table and was fatally wounded by a fragment of a police bullet. And the gunman, Man Monis, was shot dead by police in the raid. Turns out, he never had a bomb in his backpack and there weren't any bombs planted around Sydney. But in the days after the siege, the city banded together in a way Louisa had never seen before. People were in the city and were coming and telling me, my friends and family, they were saying, you know, random strangers are sitting and talking to each other. They're talking about people they've never met praying together on the street. I'm thinking, my goodness, what's happened to Sydney, you know? I'm so grateful for that. But ever mindful that it could have been so much different, very different. You know, we could have succumbed to the fear. We could have ended up being so fearful and hateful ourselves that we become the very thing that we fear, which was, you know, what the terrorist was trying to bring, you know, division. Louisa spent three months in hospital recovering, and thankfully she didn't lose her foot. When a TV station offered her $25,000 to share her story, Louisa had an idea, 
She felt so inspired by the incredible care she'd been given in hospital, she used this money to set up the Louisa Hope Fund for Nurses, providing grants for equipment, education and research to enable these lifesavers to carry out their amazing work. Louisa has truly done her best to turn a terrible situation into something positive. Life throws you different circumstances. And for myself, I have... um, tried for many years to live my life on purpose and when we make that choice that means that every day that comes along the good and the bad has a purpose to serve us to help us to grow and help us to grow in love and so that's my belief and my core so when this circumstance happened it was a bad day you know it was a seriously bad day but you know it could have been worse you know you just get up and you get on with it and say okay how are we going to bring the love out of this circumstance so for me that's the purpose you know the day was and the future is what we make it if you struggled with the themes in this episode please call lifeline on 13 11 14 or contact your local crisis center If you would like to know more about the Louisa Hope Fund for Nurses or if you would like to donate, search for Louisa Hope Fund for Nurses or you can find the details on the That's Life website. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you don't miss more incredible stories of survival. We'll bring you a new one each week. For more amazing real-life tales, pick up your copy of That's Life or visit thatslife.com.au. Next week on How I Survived. Emergency services. Your mum just drove over the cliff, was it? She's on the edge. She's leaning off the edge. Come on, Subscribe now on Omni and iTunes. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 